You guys, you are empowered. You are your best physician. You get a mirror, you look down there, you look at your vulvar vaginal area, you get to know your natural secretions and what inside the vagina, what it feels like, what the cervix feels like. Get to know your own anatomy. And you know, at the first sign of symptoms, get evaluated. So with that said, if it's been more than a year, considering the last three years we've had, please get caught up on your pap smear, pelvic exam, feeling for your ovaries. If you need an ultrasound, I think that should be part of an annual exam or at least every few years to look at your ovaries and your uterus and look for any masses or you know early signs of endometrial thickening. So all of those things, I think that's a really, really good approach. Girl, you've got questions. Questions about your body and how to feel good in it, about your hormones and how to keep them in check. Questions about your sex life and your whole health. Can you imagine having a best girlfriend who was also a triple board certified OBGYN? A girlfriend doctor you could call and ask or tell her anything. Someone who could show you how to live any stage of life before, during, or after menopause in a big, bold, and beautiful way. Well, friends, I'm your girlfriend doctor. I believe you were meant to flourish and shine, to embrace life and awaken to all its possibilities. Let's get there together. Welcome to our show. So when was the last time you had a pap smear? Okay, don't change the channel. I really want to talk about this. I'm a gynecologist. I think pap smears are important, but there is some confusion. You may have been told you don't need a pap smear in a few years, or you're over a certain age and you haven't been offered a pap smear or even a pelvic exam. It's like you don't exist from below the waist unless you have problems, or you've had a hysterectomy. And we're told you don't need to worry about that anymore. Well, I want to share a few stories because first and foremost, cervical cancer, vaginal cancers are really preventable. And the earlier we can diagnose them, the more treatable they are. In fact, we can reverse them with early diagnosis. So, and I'll talk about that. I'm going to talk today about what are, you know, risk factors for cervical cancer, worst case scenario, or abnormal pap smears. And when we get an abnormal pap smear or a diagnosis of dysplasia, what are some natural things that we can do about it? I am dedicating this podcast to a dear friend of mine who at age 71 has been diagnosed with cervical cancer. And it shouldn't be at all. We're in 2023. Well, what happened is over age 65, she wasn't offered any more pap smears at all. She's still sexually active. She's still vibrant. She gets her hormone therapy from some of the best doctors in Dallas, but no one examined her until she started bleeding. And even then they thought it was adjusting her hormones and didn't do a pelvic exam or a pap smear. So all that to say is that we're also in a different time. Here in 2023, we're just coming out of three years of a pandemic. That is a period of stress and stress is an immunosuppressant. In other words, this is where viruses can rear their ugly heads. We see more cases of shingles, more cases of warts, HPV. And HPV, human papillomavirus, 
has several high-risk strains that are associated with cancer, cervical cancer specifically. In 99% of cervical cancers, HPV is found. Not 100%, 99%. So this is um, a concern. And human papillomavirus, like a herpes virus, can remain dormant in our system. We have to keep a strong immune system to suppress all these buggers that, you know, we end up encountering along the way. How do you get HPV? Sexual activity. And if you've had, if you've been monogamous and you've been with one partner and that partner has only been with you, likelihood of cervical cancer HPV is negligible. However, it's possible even in utero that you can connect, you can contract HPV. So through the passage of the birth canal, if mom had HPV, for instance. So, so that's a way as well. Oral sex is another way to transmit HPV. And all this fun news I'm telling you. Okay, but I've got some other stories. When I'm very aware of the CDC guidelines and the Cancer Association guidelines, as well as our college, the American College of OBGYN, where we as gynecologists and obstetricians are trained th through and board certified every year. In 2019, the guidelines were updated and I'll share those with you. In 2023, they said, oh, we'll just keep those 2019 guidelines. But again, what has happened in the last three years? Could this have changed anything? Could getting an injection or being exposed to COVID affect your immune system as well and your body's ability to combat these viruses? Certainly post COVID, we are seeing an increase in Epstein-Barr virus, an increase in cytomegalovirus, or an activation, a reactivation of mononucleosis. And HPV is a virus no different. Also shingles, not just once, twice, or three times, people getting reactivated shingles. I mean, that's not in our really, that's very unusual in our history. It's unusual for someone under 60 to get shingles, but we're seeing it over and over again. So what are we going to do? Immune boost, immune boost, immune boost. Go to my website, look at my immune protocol. It writes down like what you need to do to keep your immune system strong, any additional supplements when you first start getting ill and what we need to boost our immune system. When it comes to cervical cancer and cervical dysplasia, I approach that a little bit differently too. So first of all, when I first started practice and I opened my own practice in 2000 in McIntosh County, Georgia, which was rural, and I was the first female physician, the first OBGYN to be in that area. And it's because I had a National Health Service Corps scholarship. And I'm so grateful for that scholarship because it paid for my medical school education and it enabled me to come out of medical school with debt. And I think that if I had so much debt, I might be ingrained in a hospital-based system or practice or clinic setting. But instead, I was able to have my own office, do my own research, and dig in and practice medicine the way you know I think it's designed to be practiced. And so from this first year in clinic, I diagnosed two vaginal cancers two vaginal cancers in women who had come in and they were told they didn't need another pap smear and they were coming in for their breast exam. And I said, well, I got to do a pelvic exam and a pap smear. And they said, you know, they were like, oh, I was told I never needed to. I diagnosed two vaginal cancers that year, two women who had had hysterectomies. And in one case, it was way too advanced. And it's a shame. It should never have gotten that far. You guys, you are empowered. You are your best physician. You get a mirror, you look down there, you look at your vulvar vaginal area, you get to know your natural secretions and what inside the vagina, what it feels like, what the cervix feels like. 
get to know your own anatomy. And, you know, at the first sign of symptoms, get evaluated. So with that said, if it's been more than a year, considering the last three years we've had, please get caught up on your pap smear, pelvic exam, feeling for your ovaries. If you need an ultrasound, I think that should be part of an annual exam or at least every few years to look at your ovaries and your uterus and look for any masses or you know, early signs of endometrial thickening. So all of those things, I think that's a really, really good approach. So with that said, when the current way that telemedicine has happened, and, and so many people I've talked to, they haven't been to a physician since before the pandemic. So it is time to get back in, in person and get an exam. There's local health clinics, you know, so many good practitioners can do your pap smear and you feel comfortable. Get with someone you feel comfortable with, but get it done. So what are some risk factors for, oh, I want to tell you one more story. So in practice, I had this lovely 23-year-old patient who came in to my practice and she said, you know, Dr. Ann, I'm feeling lumps and bumps, you know, in my vulvar and vaginal area. And you know, I was sexually active with someone six months ago and haven't been since, but you know, I have this problem. So I did her pelvic exam and uh, on vaginal exam, she had so many condyloma or warts all through the vulvar vaginal area in through the vagina. It was just too numerous to count. And uh, my nurse, Rosanna, was in the room with me. And what we do, we swab with a dilute vinegar solution and dilute acetic acid solution. And that lights it up really white and you can see all the areas and i was like i you know i mean i can't treat this with acid there's just way too much to treat we'll need to do laser removal and she was self-pay cash pay she said she's gonna need some time to you know to save up and to you know come back in to get this done and i'm like we'll work with you we'll work with you but in the meantime while we're getting you on the schedule I want you, I was reading some research out of Johns Hopkins University on uh, sulforaphanes and a product called Oncoplex uh, by Zymogen. And it is a SGS compound. That is the active extract from broccoli seed extract. So I looked at this. So the name is sulforaphane glucosinolate, often abbreviated SGS, also known as glucorophanin, glucorophanin. <laughs> anyway, SGS for short. And so it's in Oncoplex ES. And the research out of Johns Hopkins said it had been shown to be effective on HPV. And the way it worked and the research that was presented inspired me to go ahead and put her on that plus methylated folate to improve our body's immune system, detoxification system, and to attack, to suppress viral attacks. So the combination Oncoplex and a product called Folopro, I put her on that and I saw her back for her pre-op visit in, I think it was just like four weeks, four to six weeks. And I examined her again. She goes, Dr. Ann, I feel so much better. And she goes, I feel better in general, but I don't feel anything anymore. So I examined her. My nurse, Rosanna, was in the room and there was none to be found. We, again, acetic acid swabbed the vaginal area and the vulva area. Nothing lit up. She had completely cured herself of condyloma. And I asked her, I said, what did you do? And she said, 
I did what you told me to, Dr. Anna. <laughs> that blew my mind, first of all. I like it when a patient listens to me. And I think that was just God-inspired. And she prayed, too. And so that Oncoplex ES and the Folipro together can really help get rid of cervical dysplasia and suppress that virus, that viral load. Now, from that time on, I started using it, that combination, that dosage, in all my patients that had cervical dysplasia on a pap smear and or biopsy. And I started putting them on that same regimen. And when I would follow them up with either biopsy or leap procedure, an excision procedure, the pathology would come back negative, negative, negative. So from then on, I would put them on this. If someone came back with abnormal pap, low-grade squamous intraepithelial lesion or high-grade, I immediately put them on Oncoplex, repeat the pap smear and, bi and biopsy if necessary in four to six months, negative, negative, negative. And it really did make a difference. You have to follow up whenever you have an abnormal pap smear. A history of an abnormal pap smear, whether it was cervical dysplasia or not, is a risk factor for cervical cancer. So I want to share a couple other risk factors with you as well. Let me share some of these slides here with you. So first of all, risk factors for cervical cancers are persistent high-risk HPV. When you do a pap smear, we can send for high-risk HPV strain testing. So if you have had a history of high-risk HPV, you always want to make sure you're up to date on your pap smears. You don't go more than two or three years without a pap and make sure they're cleared. And again, if not, remember, Oncoplex ES and Folipro. Those are in my, you know, in a foundational for abnormal cervical cells. There's a lot more we do, again, for immune system, but that's a start. Other risk factors, early onset of sexual activity. So sex before age 16. Now, multiple sexual partners. We used to say if you had five or more sexual partners, that was a risk for high risk. Now it just says multiple sexual partners. Listen, if you've had one sexual partner who had another sexual partner who had another sexual partner, that is multiple sexual partners. Okay. History of sexually transmitted infection, smoking, immunosuppression like HIV, high number of pregnancies, low socioeconomic status, and a study out of, from published in ResearchGate, which is from assessment of cervical cancer risk in women between ages 15 and 49 years of age, and this is in the case of Izmir. The highest risk factor for cervical cancer was not having a pap smear in the last three years. Not having a pap smear in the last three years. That was 82% the risk factor for developing cervical cancer. If we can catch it early, we can treat it. If we can prevent it, that's even better. So everything you do on a daily basis to improve your immune system is worth it. Now, the American College of OBGYN published the updated cervical cancer screening guidelines in April of 2021. They say it was reaffirmed in April of 2023. However, we are newly coming out of a pandemic. So these guidelines suggested that age less than 21 years, no screening. However, according to statistics, 0.1% of cervical cancers are below age 21. So that means if there's 100,000 cases, 100 of those are in people under age 21. You had early cervical, um, early intercourse 
more than one sexual partner, get a pap smear, just get a pap smear. And then we can determine, okay, maybe every three years for a follow-up pap, depending on your risk factors, if something changes, exposure changes, stress changes, get your pelvic exam, have a good relationship with a gynecologist. I wish you could take care of all of you. Age 21 to 29 years per the American College of OBGYN, cytology alone every three years. Age 30 to 65, you can do cytology every three years or high-risk HPV testing every five years. And if you do HPV plus cytology, you can do that every five years. Do you still need a pelvic exam? Are you high risk? I might not wait five years. I would do it probably every two to three years and go from there. So, but again, these are the guidelines I'm sharing with you. If you're over age 65, no screening after adequate negative prior screening, screening results. However, exactly what does that mean? It says adequate negative prior screening results are defined as three consecutive negative cytology results, two consecutive negative co-testing results, or two consecutive negative high-risk HPV test results within 10 years before stopping screening, with the most recent test occurring with the recommended screening interval for the last test use. Well, in the case of client that has cervical cancer, she had a cervical dysplasia at age 40. It cleared itself, no other abnormal PAPs. And after age 60, she wasn't, after menopause, she wasn't offered any more pap smears and hence now is diagnosed with stage four cervical cancer. Do you see, we had a lot of time to intervene. There was a lot of time something could have been done just as part of routine exam, routine pelvic exam and doing a pap smear. It's an additional test. It's not that crazy expensive. Health departments will do it. And Medicare apparently will pay for it every two years. So that's, as you know, that's great. That's great news. We just have to ask for it apparently because we're not being offered it. And apparently if we're over menopause and sexually active, no one wants to know. They're not asking and they're not considering that a risk factor. Have I said enough? Anyway, so that's what it says for age 65 or greater. I beg to disagree with our American College of OBGYN. And I encourage you to feel empowered and take that power back into your own hands. Use your judgment. Talk with your doctor. It's been more than a year in this because of the last crazy three years we've had. Get a pap smear. Definitely if it's been more than three years. What did that research show from a study? Not having a pap smear in the last three years puts you at 82.4% at the highest risk for having cervical cancer. Not having a pap smear puts you at the highest risk for cervical cancer. So we should never not have a pap smear, whether it's depending on your risk factors, your history or whatever, one to five years max. Okay, so if in the case of hysterectomy, again, with the removal of the cervix, it says that no screening in individuals who do not have a history of high-grade cervical precancerous lesions or cervical cancer. Well, what if you have a new sexual partner and they have high risk HPV and no one tests you, then what? I think we're missing a really big point here and I'm missing a really big part of the population. So in the two cases of the beautiful women that I diagnosed in my first year of private practice who had vaginal cancers and were like, not under my watch, not under my watch. So I hope this explains 
a little bit, you know, and then cancer statistics, U.S. cancer statistics, the death rate hasn't changed. In the United States, about 11,500 new cases of cervical cancer are diagnosed and about 4,000 women die of this cancer. Wow, that's significant. When we look at percent of new cases, ages 20 to 64, again, this is 20 to 64, younger than 20 is less than 0.1%. And then from 20 to 34, 13.7, 35 to 44, 22.8, the highest risk group, but 45 to 54, 22.4. So the biggest bulk is ages 20 to, you know, again, 20 to 64, they're testing. But if you just look at that, we're still missing the over 65 age group, which is another 20%. So don't they count? Look, I'm 457. I want to count. All right. I don't want to be a, a statistic either. So I'm going to make sure I'm getting my pap smear, which I just did. Thank you very much to make sure I was up to date. So in looking at all of these um, statistics, and the numbers like, you know, we just don't want to be a number, right? We just don't want to be a number. Recognize what risk factors we have, do something about it. I use Oncoplex ES and Folipro for cervical dysplasia, for warts, for condyloma. And that has made a really big difference in my patient's results. So there's a lot we can do. Get Keep healthy, keep happy, and advocate for yourself. So share this podcast with someone you know, with your girlfriends, and take action today. Take action, talk about it, check in with each other, and make sure that you guys have are up to date on, on this screening test, just to be on the safe side. You're worth it, and I love being your girlfriend doctor. Thank you for being here. You guys, please, wherever you listen to this podcast, please leave a comment, a review. I love your five-star reviews. It really does help raise the reach of this message. And I want you to know that I'm here for you. Thank you. And I love being your girlfriend doctor. Till next time.